it's it's very easy to be negative about big tobacco certainly but big pharma um you know when you look at the pr that they've had and and for good reason i'm not defending those industries but it's very easy to be negative about what their entry might mean uh, and and i think we have to look past that and look at the opportunity uh and also consider if you operate a cannabis business what's the benefit for you No smoke, no fire. Big Tobacco is clearly making a play for cannabis. British American Tobacco's recent £75 million investment into cannabis firm Organigram is a strong indication of that. However, while the subject may be uncomfortable for many, we can't deny that tobacco's involvement in cannabis could benefit the cannabis industry in a number of ways, not least economically. We speak to Nick Kenny a strategic advisor to large companies diversifying into highly regulated sectors to better understand the challenges and opportunities. Hello and welcome to the Lobster Pot Podcast. I'm Dave Barton and uh, November, it's a countdown to Christmas, Jamie. Are you, are you excited for what Father Christmas or Santa or whatever we're calling him these days is bringing you this year? Do you know what? Uh, total aside, I'm buying a house. So if I'm in by hey. Christmas, that'll be gift enough. And if I'm not, then I'm going to burn everything down. But that's, that, that's only a joke i'm not really going to burn everything down well, you, know, you, um, you know go big or go home right you know yeah i mean literally i uh, i feel like we're both sort of being a bit let down that neither of us are going to vegas for mjbiz so we're going yeah. to hold down the fort here exactly you know there's uh you know see what we can do from this end and uh, hopefully catch up with friends and colleagues after the facts to really get the 411 on all the cray crayness that i'm sure will be going down you know as in the next sort of week or so but uh in the meantime, we have someone else who's not going to MJ BizCon this year, uh, a gentleman by the name of Nick Kenny. He's a strategic advisor for large companies who are diversifying into highly regulated industries. Um, also from the side of tobacco into cannabis, and you work with those sorts of companies. So welcome to the show, Nick. Tell us a little bit about the oh, big tobacco. There's been lots of news. It's been Organigram, you know, and acquired by British American Tobacco. Big tobacco is making a play for cannabis how do you see it from your side um well first of all thank you so much for having me on um it's a pleasure to be here i really enjoy what you guys are doing and uh, certainly educating the populace and what's going on in the world of cannabis Thanks, um yeah give me a, i'll give you a quick quick analysis of my journey into the space and how i how, what experience i have in the background and then we can talk about the, uh, to your question what is big tobacco um, for me, I entered into the professional career as a, a for a tobacco company. Um, I did that for about a decade, primarily in the U.S. market. And then my entry into cannabis actually was through a tobacco company. So uh, I worked I was U.S. director of marketing uh, for a company called Imperial Brands, which would, as we'll talk about in a second, is one of the big tobacco or considered big tobacco. Uh, and the uh, the challenge there was to how to educate uh, a big corporation on the evolving cannabis industry, predominantly in North America, but also globally. Um, I left Imperial back in 2019. I started my own advisory because that journey from pure education, informing informing a, a big corporation and the executives of that organization about the sector into making an investment 
was a really interesting two years. Uh, and subsequently, I felt that there were lots of organizations that were going to go through the same journey. And that's what I've done in the last four and a half years. I've worked for a number of big tobacco, big alcohol, and essentially those big corporations that are looking at highly regulated markets. To your question on big tobacco, well, when we look at big tobacco, we predominantly talk about four of them. Um, that's PMI, Philip Morris International, BAT, which you've already re referenced, is British American Tobacco, uh, JT, uh, and JTI as a subsidiary, which is Japan Tobacco, and Imperial, a Bristol-based organization here in the UK. Um, those are the four big tobacco companies. Now, there is there is another one that we don't really refer to in that context, which is CNTC, which is the Chinese tobacco company. And the reason for that is they predominantly don't uh, operate outside of China. There are 26 houses in the CNTC. One of them is as big as an Imperial, as an example. So it's, a, it's the biggest one by far but it really only operates in duty-free and domestically. Um, so that's really what we refer to as big tobacco. Now, obviously there are a number of other companies down the line, Altria, Korean Tobacco, uh, and a number of second tier and third tier in terms of size companies. But yeah, that's that's who we're referring to when we refer to big tobacco. Awesome, and again, do you feel like, I mean, there's been a few plays, I think in recent years for big tobacco in particular coming into cannabis. And I guess it kind of makes sense from perspective of outside looking in, you know, we've got the, it's, it's plant-based, you know, you've got distribution networks, you've got all of the kind of working in regulated industries experience. Do you feel like it's a kind of natural segue? Do you, is there a huge amount of interest from tobacco coming into cannabis? Yeah, I, I mean, for sure. Um, I think they are synergistic industries in many ways. If we re if refer to them as simply, um, they're both mature markets, but they differ in what that mature means. Uh, when we look at tobacco uh, from a regulatorily, commercially and uh, consumption wise, it's it's a very mature market. We It's very clearly regulated, uh, in fact, getting more regulated. Uh, commercially, obviously, is big revenues, uh, uh, globally operated, and as you said, through the supply chain, very, very mature. And then from a consumption basis, it's, it hasn't really changed in 50 years, uh, well, 100 years, 200 years. Um, we still consume the same end product. Um, in respect of cannabis, I would argue it's still also a mature market. The difference being is that it's been in the dark for 100 years. Uh, and what I mean by that is from a consumption perspective, we arguably still, um, you know, it's been used for 6,000 years uh, for different purposes, but we still in its it, with relatively uh, less mature in terms of its consumption behavior, because uh, although people have been consuming it, they've been consuming it through inhalation uh, and less so through infusion and the other parameters that R&D is now seeping into cannabis. In terms of regulatorily, it's quite mature because it's prohibited, but now it's it's getting more and more uh, light uh, and we're reviewing that process. Um, and then certainly commercially, it's very mature. The difference being that it's in the illicit market, it's very mature. There are supply chains, there's distribution hubs, um, there are salesmen, you know, it's a very mature, clean path. It's just the difference being is it's not in the light, it's in the dark still. Um, and so the challenge, um, the challenge of traversing that is to how do you switch a very mature uh, illicit market into a legal one? And that's the challenge for any corporation, any regulator uh, to find the right path. So in terms of 
tobacco looking at this sector um it's it's you know it is viewed as a synergistic um the difference now is that cannabis has so many more uses than the tobacco plant uh, and we know that through not just cannabis obviously the hemp derived products um and also the ways that you can consume cannabis are far more than the ways you can consume tobacco nicotine is a somewhat of a separate matter um so um yes for sure there is considerable interest um but they're also hesitant uh, and the reason by that is tobacco is um, a very risk averse sector. There's a lot of risk involved in diversifying out of your core product. And there's a number of stakeholders you need to consider when making moves. Uh, in general, tobacco looks at it through three growth engines. The primary one being tobacco, that's how they generate the majority of their revenue. The second growth engine being um, alter, uh, next generation products. So that would be your vapor, ICOS, or uh, heat not burn devices, vape pouches. Those will be considered in that realm. And then the third growth engine would be the diversification into synergistic industries outside of nicotine and tobacco. Um, and that's where cannabis would sit. And the idea is that over time, you start the revenue mix starts going from tobacco into those other two. Um, it's still very early days and and the challenge uh, and why that is interest is hesitant is there's no regulatory stability there's no sizable revenue that you can really penetrate um and by way of that you look at the us the biggest market in the world it's still federally illegal so therefore there's no regulatory stability from entry um and so there, there's lots of considerations but there's certainly a lot of interest there's just a lot of hesitancy until that stability in terms of regulation one other thing i will say is when you operate in the cannabis sector and you look at the likes of big tobacco you think of huge pay huge checks and the ability once they enter they're going to take over they certainly have huge paychecks but they're very careful how they invest their money um and uh and the reason for that is because there's so many other factors you have to take in when you consider it they have to consider the fact that where they're domiciled in for instance if you're in the uk and you're domiciled in the uk you run the risk of poker which is proceeds of crime act if you invest in a legal market because it's not legal here um and that's just one aspect then you have to consider your agreement with banks and how they perceive an investment such as this what your shareholders think there's so many other things where making a minor investment may seem very simple and it's not a huge amount of money etc but those all things have to be traversed before you can actually say, okay, we're gonna step in. And that affects all of them. Um, but yes, uh, in answer, a very long-winded response, but a very, there's a lot of considerations when you take it into account. Do you think that, um, I mean, tobacco is a, is, a, is a massive industry with big players in it, big controlling players, have a huge amount of lobbying power, you know, particularly mm -hmm. in the US where lobbying is, well, and the UK everywhere really, but more known in the US, I think more publicly known, and. and a larger lobbying scape do you think that there is scope for almost kind of pre-entry lobbying do you think or have you seen anything heard any anything like that is that what tobacco companies are doing almost as if they can't really get in at the moment because federal illegality makes it far harder than it uh, they would like it to be is there are they waiting for it to be illegal or are they helping to nudge that on um it's an interesting question. I think we'd be, 
I think we'd be naive to think that it hasn't been considered and that conversations haven't been had. As to how and what, that's not public knowledge, nor even if I knew it, I, I couldn't share it. <laughs> Fair enough, yeah. um, but um, I, I think it's it's certainly any, and it's not just tobacco, it's any big corporation, big alcohol, big, big pharma, mm-hmm. any big uh, industry is certainly looked at cannabis and has certainly made either a decision or a wait and see approach. Um, and from that, you know, we, we don't quite know where the resolve will be. Um, I think it, it, it's coming. Uh and the nature of what what it looked like will determine how they enter. But for sure, I think we'd be naive to think they haven't done so, or at least had those conversations to start with. I suppose it's to do with the amount of money they got invested in it. I mean, I guess, I mean, I'm thinking about um, what other watch painkiller recently on Netflix about the opioid crisis and thinking, well, you know, the Sackler family just basically paid off the FDA. I don't see that happening anytime soon because they haven't got that much money at stake. Not that I'm saying they would do that. But again, when you think about those kind of what happens behind closed doors, it makes you think, well, you know, who actually wants this to happen and why and how quickly do they want it to happen? And I guess if, you know, thinking again, this is just me thinking about the most straightforward, not necessarily the most uh, ethical route is, uh, you know, do people, you know, are those conversations being had? Is money changing hands? Who knows? You know, that's not for us to speculate. But by the same token, it's almost as though, who wants this to happen and how quickly do they want it to happen? That's And I, I guess if tobacco is naturally cautious, maybe farmer as well and big alcohol as well. I mean, they're used to navigating all of the regulations, but at the same time, it's almost like, well, what's the uh, what's the incentive almost, isn't it? Well, you, you raise a good point, which is, look, each sector may have different end goals from cannabis. Farmer uh, certainly is well-averse um, uh, well versed, sorry, in the in medicinal applications and understanding over the counter and behind the counter um, medical uh, implications of cannabis as a as a drug, as from medicinal benefit, as a cure. I think tobacco, uh, and this is where probably the difference being, tobacco is very well versed in CPG, so consumer goods, um, and so therefore their take would probably be in the CBD and recreational market um i'm so um, and also in the r d and ip protection um areas uh as well as mass distribution and and you know navigating regulated industries and markets um so there might be quite a difference in terms of what their end goal might be and then therefore how they enter into this space and again what i'm going to preface here is we're still commercially very very uh early early on in this industry um, consumers haven't made a clear path yet. Um, the end product is still evolving. We're still learning about it. If you think about it, there are 140 plus cannabinoids in the plant. We truly understand the effect of maybe 10 of them. Um, so, you know, there's a long way to go here. And that's that's what I preface in general. You know, mm-hmm. yes, there are early plays. There's a lot of learning to be done. But we don't have mature markets yet, uh, at least commercially in the light markets. And so therefore it's very hard to to uh, to understand where this will go and how how these companies will play in the future it's interesting to see how it kind of develops i mean we're, we're speaking to you someone who knows big tobacco pretty well you know <laughs> in the grand scheme of things you know you've got a reason to be good understanding of it i would say after uh, many years kind of working in 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 a regulated space particularly in tobacco 
the kind of naysayers or perhaps the people who want to protect what they would see as the kind of culture around cannabis and maybe the sanctity of um, choosing words but the sanctity of the kind of how they see the plant and how it should be distributed or used or understood uh, are at best probably reticent about the, the idea of big corporations tobacco pharma whatever it is entering into the space uh, my personal take is that it's an inevitability and uh, i think no matter how strongly you feel about it being wrong ethically or how they conduct their own businesses being bad it's going to happen so i to me there's like a point where it should be embraced uh, i mean thinking along some of those ideas what what are some of the benefits that big corporations can bring to an evolving sector like cannabis yeah um so first i'd say that it's natural to have hesitation especially when you've been an enthusiast and in the industry for 30 40 years fighting uh well as they say the good fight of, of legality being arrested for just consuming something that's now considered legal in many jurisdictions so there's a natural protectionism uh and enthusiasm behind the authenticity of the, the plant and therefore those who operate in the sector however um you know it's naive to think that as an industry evolves and gets bigger and therefore significant revenue which is something they've been pushing for a while now uh takes shape that entry from bigger corporations with lots of money to spend is not going to happen so um you know the, the, there are lots of benefits for big corporations entering in um to a degree professionalism um just in general how approached how how to create um and get the best out of the plant r d as another example significant funding we put into understanding the plant its effects consumer behavior and consumer insights something that for instance big tobacco knows a lot about you know when you have very little ability to speak to the consumer you have to understand the consumer a lot more you have to understand how they think how they approach products why they make purchase decisions um so from that avenue organizations such as that can bring that a lot of that to the table I mean, additionally, also a lot of money. So there's a lot of money to invest in the sector um, and through across the supply chain, uh, you know, not just from an R&D and, and, uh, and brand perspective, from a retail perspective, distribution, um, cost of goods. So bring those down, make it far more accessible and affordable. Um, there are lots of benefits. It's, it's very easy to be negative about big tobacco certainly but big pharma um you know when you look at the pr that they've had and and for good reason i'm not defending those industries but it's very easy to be negative about what their entry might mean uh, and and i think we have to look past that and look at the opportunity uh and also consider if you operate a cannabis business what's the benefit for you um it may not be beneficial to have someone like big tobacco purchase your it may it may not or invest in you it may restrict your your next steps but it also may be advantageous and then so therefore i'd, I'd look strong as to within your business uh, and whether it's advantageous for you to have it uh, but then in, in terms of an industry in general yeah it's it's going to happen the enthusiasts have to get past that negativity I, I what i will say is what my experience has been when i first entered the sector and went to my first conference in vegas in I think it was 2017 16 17 uh mj bizcon was in the rio mm -hmm. Five thousand people in it 
Uh, 80% of those going were the enthusiasts, those you'd expect to attend a cannabis conference back then. 20% being those in suits or consultants or from big companies under guises of, you know, uh, other companies. Um, flip it a year. The next year, it was in MJ Pizcon, uh in the convention center in Vegas, 20,000 people, and the ratio had completely flipped. So professionalism, VC money, big corporations, it's going to happen. It is happening. And so you either, you just have to think smart about how, what that looks like for you. Yeah, I think yeah, you make a very good point about the kind of historical prohibited nature of the product. And and the idea that a big corporation enters is almost an affront to the the injustice of the past. But I think it, it's about understanding that both of those things can be true. You can have the benefit of a big corporation or, or a big industry being involved and it still have a bad past and you can still kind of get the best from it. I mean, the point on R&D from a pharma perspective is that if you can, you know, if you can produce cannabis to a higher quality for less money, then more people will find it more easy to have access to medicine. And that to me is pretty important. Um, and like the Hearst Corporation as well, you know, they're, you know, traditionally, well, they were the, uh, was it William Randolph Hearst sort of, was part of that lobby to uh, to ban cannabis uh, or make it illegal in the US. And now they're sort of throwing money behind it to kind of... Uh... So again, it, it almost feels sometimes like with bigger industries, like, you know, the sins of the past have an opportunity to be remedied in some form. Mm. It certainly looks like that from the outside looking in. Do you think people within the industry, within tobacco or pharma or whatever, have that sort of attitude? It's not that clear cut. I think we're just talking about from a very business perspective, it feels like from what you've said, the people say, look, we see the need, we see the growth here, we see the potential, we have the opportunity to develop this and make it into something, you know, long lasting in, in a kind of commercial sense. And that doesn't necessarily have to mean that it's going to sort of take away what's special about the plant, it's just going to make it more readily available. Yes. Um, yeah, certainly the attitude I would take. Um, the 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 tobacco of the 60s and 70s is not the tobacco of today it, it, it is the people that work in those organizations um you know over the last 20 years there's been a dramatic shift and and the people joining now aren't looking necessarily to push the core product uh, a lot of hires in the last decade in those big companies are about uh, hiring in the next generation of products um so there is we we there is a desire and necessity for big tobacco to change its outlook and to change its product profile. It has to, to survive because there's only one way tobacco is going. Um, and so therefore there's a need and desire certainly to diversify. Um, and with that, the talent that they incorporate into their organization um, and the culture that that's incorporated in um, has certainly meant that, you know, the, it's 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 always going to tobacco is always going to be looked negatively there's no there's no question but it will take generational shifts to see what those organizations look like in the future and cannabis is one just one of many uh areas and sectors they'll look in to do that um so yeah in answer to your question in terms of the the culture and the, and the aspects yeah we it certainly is the case that's, that's fascinating i think i think there's a again it's about understanding and learning and sort of sharing that knowledge. And I think, again, that feels like a big part of what the sort of cannabis, the industry of cannabis is about as much as anything. It's like what has happened here might not happen here or it might, or is there a way that we can 
take some of the lessons learned from other industries and bring them into something here that so i think again it's all important even if you know there is a stigma you know it's all about stigma <laughs> at the end of the day cannabis tobacco whatever pharmaceuticals and it's about finding a positive way forward so i totally get that and um, just a kind of quick question i mean what do you think if we're looking a sort of a year ahead do you think we're going to see any more sort of big acquisitions from tobacco into cannabis or maybe even pharma or alcohol you know into cannabis do you think that time is upon us i think it will be strategic uh, I think investments will happen, uh, some public, some private. Um, you know, BAT's investment in Organogram, because uh, it didn't acquire Organogram, it invested, but um, a significant amount, obviously. Um, that, that to me, is strategic. That is uh, creating a subsidiary for their cannabis investments moving forward. Um, there, uh, when we look at investments in general, there are going to be uh, investments in core areas such as you know, those with significant IP behind the plant, those with uh, something unique, whether it's a brand, whether it's R&D. Um, so I think investments are going to happen over the course of time in the next certainly year. Um, the question is, will we know about it uh, and will it be significant uh, or will it be minor investments continued? I think that's probably the likely scenario, because, again, we're in a situation where there's regulatory instability. Um, so yeah until there's there's stabilization in the sector um it's unlikely you'll have massive investment uh now there will be i'm sure cbd or um you know certain market entries or certain investments in different uh, uh jurisdictions i mean you look at what's happening in japan you look at what's happening in germany and thailand and switzerland there are lots of opportunities for investments in those areas uh, in those countries so i think that will happen and i think it's um it's going to continue to happen uh i just don't think it will be necessarily significant and then you us fast forward a year and someone's some big tobacco has invested a lot of money and i'll look like an idiot but yeah. that's no we, we just don't know that's the thing is that, again that's what you're saying no one really knows it's just it's signs say yes eventually but again it's like the the idea of uh, u.s federal legalization is like could be tomorrow it could be 10 years who really knows you know but again i think looking at the sort of you know now that half of well is that over 20 24 states now isn't it in the us are recreationally legal now ohio's joined the uh joined the gang and you've got 38 states that are kind of medical legal it just it feels like you know changes within grip within well within reach and i think again it, it takes something like a you know, we have to be in the majority in order to kind of affect that change. And I feel like that's coming. And I think that will come out of uh, the US or certainly North America more so than, than Europe at this point. And I think, again, that will have that trickle down effect because culturally as well. But again, it's kind of a uh, finger in the ass a little bit. We're all looking at whether there's going to be a domino. Mm -hmm. You know, if one falls, will they all fall? And, you know, we've been saying that about we said that about Canada there was an expectation that the US would move quicker than it has. We've said it about Germany um, and Germany. Look what's happened there, the delays and the, the mm -hmm. limitations of what that actually looks like. You know, people have been talking about Czech Republic or Switzerland as being those vehicles. It's it, we don't know. Um, certainly what I would say is the UK is not moving anywhere quickly. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, whether the domino effect happens in the West or the East of us, um i think it will take a lot to to move our our framework or you know who knows a labor government could could decide decide that this is a big area they want to to uh 
to make pivotal in their in their first couple of years. We yeah. just don't know. Um, well, it depends if Keir Starmer can stand the uh, smell of cannabis or whatever it is. Apparently, what was he was saying the other day? So, well, there we go. But no, absolutely, I, it re remains to be seen very much, even you know from the inside looking outwards and vice versa. But no, thank you so much, Nick. I appreciate you coming on the show and uh, telling us what you know. So, uh, good luck, yeah, and uh, we will see you soon. So, thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Nick. All the best. Cheers.